Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today, before I share my message, which is a very powerful, encouraging word, I want to begin by, by stating the obvious. And, and maybe uh, sometimes when I share, one of my, my primary concerns when I speak like I'm going to speak today is that someone might receive this in a position in their life that they're no longer in. So I want you to say this with me, BC. Okay, that was not good. All right, let's try that. BC and AD. Okay, now how many of you know what BC stands for? That doesn't stand for before COVID. Okay, that, that's before Christ, and AD is. And then what? Anidomino. Does anyone know what that means? After the year of our Lord. So every one of us here have a BC life. How many of you remember your BC life? How many of you wouldn't be in church during Mardi Gras in your BC life? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, and, and BC means before Christ. So before you gave your life to Christ and then you came and you were born again, went from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead comes to live inside of you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you become a new creature. All the old things have all the old things have, behold, all things have become brand new, brand new. So I'm saying that because regardless of where you were in your journey of your family when you gave your life to Christ, the past is under the blood and nobody remembers it but your ex-mother-in-law. Okay, it's under the blood. Say that with me, it's under the blood. How many of you, there's a lot of stuff in your life that's under the blood and it doesn't ever need to be resurrected again? Okay, I'm the same way. Your pastor's the same place. So I want to remind you of that before I get started because I don't want anything I say today to be considered, uh, well, pastor, I've already done that. Okay, there's BC. There's before Christ. And all of that is where? Under Under the blood of Jesus. So let me begin by asking you a question. Regardless of where you are in your journey, and as a born-again child of God, how many of you want to build a marriage relationship that will last a lifetime? Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've already been divorced. Maybe, I don't, I don't know what. Maybe you've been divorced two or three times, six or seven. If you've been divorced seven times, okay, but maybe you, okay. Now, the, the reason that I, that I say all of that, and you're going to find out in just, just a few moments, but I believe that that is the yearning desire, especially for those of you that are single here today. Getting today's message is incredibly important. Because until you have a target, until you actually believe that you have the the goal that God has for you, then you're going to settle for a lot of different other things. For 25, 30 years, I was a national anti-drug speaker, speaking on drugs, drinking, and abstinence. And and I would, I would grab the microphone and there would be 1,000 to 2,000 students crammed into an auditorium or most of them gymnasiums. 
And, and I would grab the microphone and they're kind of judging you to kind of see who you are and whether it was St. Thomas More, which I, I did many times, or whether it's uh, an inner city school in New Orleans or Houston or some other big city, I would grab the microphone and this is the first statement that I would make. I'd grab the microphone and say, I, I want to tell you something. I know the greatest hope and dream of every person in this room. And they would go from like, to like, huh, huh. And I say, I know you're looking at me going, you don't know me. You don't know where I'm from. You a Mexican. And you a freakish Mexican because they're short. So I, I don't know how you can tell me what you know. You don't know me. And I would say, no, I do know you. And I'm going to tell you the greatest hope and dream of every person sitting in this room right now. And it's also true of the people that are in this room right now. You say, well, pastor, what is that? It's either to come from a happy family or one day give your children a happy family. A whole family. It's the cry of our generation. That's why they keep dividing themselves up into groups. LGBTQ, BLM, WLM. How about MLM, Mexicans Life Matters? I mean, how, and some of us, you know, AARP, <laughs> that we just keep dividing ourselves up into different groups because that's the closest thing you can get to a family. When I was in the inner city, people used to say this, you know what gangs are? They're family for people that don't have one. And that's what all of these subsets of groups were because God created us for family. It actually begins with the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. That's a family. And then when God made man, he said it's not good for him to be alone. And so he gave him a mate who created a family because family is God's idea. I firmly believe that when most people come walking in the doors of this church, they could go to a lot of churches. We're, we're all, there are many churches all across the country that are preaching the Bible. I believe when people come walking in the door, you know what they're looking for? They're looking for a family. The church at its best is a family. At its worst, it's a business. It's family. That is the heart cry of our entire generation. Well, why? Because 75% of African-American children grow up in fatherless homes. 60% of Hispanic children grow up in fatherless homes. 40% of whites' children grow up in fatherless homes. Let me add those up together. About 65% of all children wake up every morning without their actual father in the home. Why has this happened? Well, the answer could be complex for about 10%, but, but let me get to the 90% that's very clear. Because in every generation, we either sacrifice for our children or we sacrifice our children. I'm going to say that again. In every generation, we either sacrifice for our children or we sacrifice our children. Many years ago, when I was speaking, gone 15 to 25 days a month, I was going through the Houston airport. Have you ever been through the Houston airport? And I was going through the Houston airport, and back then I wore shoes that you could shine, and I had a little time in between, and you know, and there's, there's shoe shine people everywhere. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And, and there was a kind of a, a chubby little Mexican guy, so I, I some time, and I wanted to bless him. I felt bad for him. I wanted to give, give him 20 bucks, so I'd get up there to get a 6 or $7 shoe shine, and he's shining my shoes. And, and I know enough Spanish 
okay, to know if you're cussing at me, so don't do that. Okay, and, and to have brief conversation, okay, but, but not intense, but just like, who are you, where are you from? So I started talking to him, and I said, where are you from? And he told me in Mexico where he was from, and that he was an immigrant, and he was here, and, and I told him that, you know, my, my great uh, my grandfather walked 700 miles from the interior of Mexico in a place called, a state called Leon, a city called Leon and a state called Guanajuato. And, and they, they make shoes there. It's very famous for shoes. So when I say Leon Guanajuato and, and then mention zapatos, which is Spanish for, for shoes. And we start talking back and forth and he looks at me while he's shining my shoes and he goes, my daughter's going to be a doctor. And he smiled. I said, your daughter's going to be a doctor? He said, that's right. He said, I shine shoes so I can support her to be a doctor. You see, it used to be that the one generation sacrificed so they could leave the next generation a better future. Because you sacrifice for your children or you sacrifice your children. Our culture has become anti-family, anti-family, and pro anything but family as the word of God and God designed it. And while it's become anti-family, it's become pro-pleasure. Pleasure and amusements are the God of America. Like, like we don't bow down before a golden calf like they did at one time years ago. We down, bow down before amusements and entertainment and pleasure. That's why you can talk about somebody's mama, but don't criticize the Dallas Cowboys. Now, you know, to be honest, you don't have to criticize the Dallas Cowboys. Just show their record. <laughs> okay, I mean... Come on, if I'm preaching the truth, say it's true. Okay, there's one NFL team in the Bible. It's not the Bears. Okay, it's the Saints. Paul writes to the Saints, to the Saints, to the Saints, to the Saints, to the Saints. So, so when, when, when you look at our culture, it's become pro-pleasure and amusements. Okay? You know what the word muse means, M-U-S-E? To think. You know what amuse means? To not think. So we have a culture that is being amused and worshiping pleasure. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? Because you can criticize a church, you can criticize a mama, a daddy, God, Jesus. You can change the names of males and females but don't you talk about somebody's sex life. It's the only thing that's sacred. Why? Because that has become our culture. But this is not a surprise to God. How many of you know that? How many believe that we live in the last days? Okay, li listen to what Paul writes his spiritual son Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the... There will be difficult times for people will love only and they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at, scoffing at God, disobedient to 
ungrateful. They will consider nothing, nothing sacred. The only thing sacred today is sex. That's why you can't criticize anybody's lifestyle. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others. They will have no... Do, do you know that when I was growing up, when you were growing up 30, 40, 50 years ago, there was not a list of all these compulsive disorders that people can't control? They will be cruel, hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride. Read this with me. And they will love rather than, let me translate that, they will, pleasure will become their God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them what? What does he say to these, about these people? Stay away from that. Stay, stay, stay away from people like that. The study Bible, the, the amplified version that breaks down the original language says this in 2 Timothy 3, 4, they will be treacherous, betrayers, rash, inflated with self-conceit. They will be of sensual pleasures. And, and what kind of vain, vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God. In other words, he's saying this group of people will live to please their senses. Now, let me help you. How many like good food? How many are ready for crawfish season? How many of you know as long as it's $14 a pound, it's not crawfish season? Yeah. I mean, I'm not for Chinese crawfish. But if my eyes start looking slanted, <laughs> it's because I can't afford <laughs> Do you know who gave you taste buds? Do you know who gave you eyes to see beauty? Do you know who gave you a nose to smell and go? God, that's Chinese crawfish. <laughs> you know? Who gave you all of that? God did. He gave you those as gifts of senses for you to enjoy. So today, I want to give you five countercultural principles that will keep you married for a lifetime. Guaranteed to keep you married for a lifetime because they're biblical and they're true. Let me give you, let me give you the first one. Number one, living for purpose versus pleasure. Living for versus pleasure. Pleasure. Let me just pause a moment. Are you living for purpose or are you living for pleasure? Do, do you grind through each week so that you can live for the weekend? Is it all about I can't wait till I get that camp or the, the boat or this or that or the other or when I move up or whatever? Look at me. Is there anything wrong with any of those? Only when they become God. Only when they become God. Look at me. The God who could make almost 8 billion people on earth that look completely different, even identical twins that look different, and gave you all that you can see in all of creation and the creative thoughts to think thoughts that have never been thought before and to create things that have never been created before. He did that for your pleasure. But when it becomes your God, it no longer is your pleasure 
It is an idol. Let, let, let me show you something. Don't tell me that water right there, Haddon. I should have been in the league. <laughs> let, let, me, let me tell you what happens when you live for pleasure. There's a thirst. I can't, man, I can't wait till I get that, or I can't wait till I have that, or I can't wait till that experience. And then you do it. And then what happens? And it's got to be refilled again. It's filling, but it's never fulfilling. You say, Pastor, well, why is that? Why did God make it if it's not fulfilling? Because he loves you so much. He wanted you to know the difference between what was a temporary pleasure and what is eternal fulfillment. You've heard me say this, but the two greatest pleasures you can have is physical intimacy and food. And in 15 minutes, both of them are over. Okay? I'll just stop there. 1 John 2.17 says why we shouldn't live for pleasure. And the world, what? It what? It passes away and disappears. He doesn't want you to live for something that's passing away and disappearing with and with it forbidden cravings, passionate desires, the lust of it. But read this with me. But he who does and carries out his in his life, what? Bides and remains forever. God gave you these pleasures to enjoy, but he wants you to know that they're temporary. And that when all of this five senses pass away, they are gone too. And that's why in 15 minutes, the two greatest desires you can have, all of us have been, man, I'm so thirsty. I just could, I could drink up a whole well. You drink three bottles of water and you want to throw up. It passes away. It passes away. What is living for pleasure called? By the way, are people living for pleasure today? Okay, of course they are. Okay. That's why 40% of Americans are obese. A third of the world is starving. And the others don't know what to do with the food they have left over. What is it called when I live for pleasure? The word is called hedonism. I want to give you the dictionary word for hedonism. The pursuit of Sensual self-indulgent. The ethical theory that pleasure and the sense of satisfaction of desires, read this with me, is the and of, is, is, is it the highest good answer? No, not at all. Not at all. Is this the pursuit of our culture? All earthly appetites can get filled momentarily. Food, success, sensual pleasure, the thrill of adventure, but they soon become empty and must be rebuilt. I remember Deion Sanders saying the lowest moment of his life, he'd just been on the 49ers and won a Super Bowl, and then he was flying back between football and to play in a World Series. 
And it was that night he was going over the San Francisco Bridge, I believe it was, and that he was driving over the bridge and said, I am so miserable, I want to kill myself. And he was fighting the thought of driving his car off the bridge. Why? Because everything he thought that would fill him kept leaving him empty. Empty. They were filling but not fulfilling. God made and gave temporary pleasure for us to enjoy. This is nothing new. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman who's got quite a relationship history. She would not be teaching this series. It's 12 o'clock and, and Jesus is there and the disciples go in to get some food in Samaria and he's at the well and she comes walking up with the well. Why is she coming at noon? Because all the respectable women come in the morning. Because she'd been with a lot of the men of these women who go to get water. And so she has to go at noon, the hottest part of the day. And while she's getting water, Jesus is there and he says, would you give me a drink? And she says, First of all, men don't speak to women, number one. Number two, you're a Jew. You can't even stand people like me. Number three, you know I'm here at noon. Why would you even be talking to me? And Jesus responds with this in John chapter 4, verse 13. Then Jesus replied, anyone who drinks from this water will soon become what? Thirsty again. But those who drink from the water I will give will... Never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring from within them, giving them eternal life. He's saying, not only will you not have to come here to get your needs met again. You've been through man after man after man. You've been through five marriages. And that's the only the ones that you've married. Always looking for someone to fill you and every time living empty. This is the curse of beautiful women. It is. Megan Fox, of whatever of our day, wrote a book of poems. I just saw the headlines. Here's what she said. She said, in my body, I bear the sins of many men. What is she saying? They came to me to get filled and left empty, and I left empty here. Because the terrible part about living for sinful pleasure, not just pleasure, sinful pleasure is it doesn't give to you. It actually takes away from you. When you put it in the wrong place, it's filling and then you're unfulfilled. Filling and unfulfilled. Filling and unfulfilled. When it's sinful, you're emptier than you were before you did it. And then you're emptier than you were before you did it. Because sin never adds, it always takes away. Jesus wants to fill us and fulfill us. Remember Mick Jagger? I can't get no. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to stick my lip out. There, there are three different loves in the New Testament. Phileo, eros, and agape. Let me tell you what they mean. Phileo means friendship. It's where we get the city named Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love and the murder capital of America. <laughs> okay, this one is called eros. That's sensual desire or physical intimacy. And the third one is called an agape. It's to choose the highest good for someone else regardless of the sacrifice. Now go back to the first three words up on the screen. 
John 3, 16, the first three when they're all together. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What word do you think is up there for love? Agape. God so unselfishly chose to love the world that he gave his only begotten son. He selflessly sacrificed to prove his love for the world. What is a born-again believer? What should my life purpose be? What should my life purpose be? I want to break it down into three very simple statements that, that, that you can always remember. The first one is to know God. Say that. I was made to know God. You were made to be in a love relationship with God, and that is the first most natural relationship. And you know how you know that? You ever talk to a little child, three or four? Who do you love? I love Jesus. Do you think he knows Jesus, like has spent time with him a long time, like has a lot of knowledge, has read the Bible? Answer. He knows he was made for God. We were made for God. We were made for God. To be loved by him and to love him, to know him. Here's the second one, to make him known. The first one is to know God. What's the second one? To make him known. To make him know. I, I do a Bible study on Tuesday morning with a bunch of very successful businessmen in our community. And, and it's interesting because most of them live in very, very nice houses and drive very, very nice cars and are very successful in what they do. But I can tell you the most exciting thing that happens is sometimes we'll be in there and I'll be teaching the Bible. And as I'm teaching them, I'll just stop and we'll just feel the presence of God come in the room. You just, they're just quiet like this. The second most exciting thing that happens is I, I will ask them, well, how was your week this week? And, and one of them will say something like this. Well, pastor, you know, you, you keep saying that when, when God brings people to me, that, that it's going to be an opportunity for me to share who God is to me with them. And, and like I, I was, one guy said, I was, I was on this, uh, I was on this flight and a guy looks over next to me and he goes, hey, what are you doing? And I had my Bible out and I went, uh-oh, here it is. And so I just started telling him what God was doing in my life in the Bible study. And he said, I can't tell you how I felt. It's just, it's just inside. I was so, I mean, it was, do you know why? Because you were made not only to know God, but to make him known. That's why you are so fulfilled when you do that. You know what I've never heard anyone say in 51 years? Why did I talk to them about Jesus? I should not have told them. They don't need to be, and I don't want to be around there in heaven with them. I don't know why I should. Never have heard that one time. Never. You were made to do that. That's why it is so fulfilling when you do. And here's the third one. To build a godly legacy. To build a godly legacy. I've never met anyone near the end of their life who went, you know, Pastor, I just want to, could you just tell people this for me? I am so sorry I read the Bible, spent time with God, went to church, invested in my children, gave. I'm just so sorry that I did that. In 50 years, I've never heard one person say that. Why? Because that's what they were made for. That's what we were made for. Here's the second thing I want you to understand as a principle. Understand 
Not only that we're to live for purpose and not pleasure, but understand the purpose of marriage. Marriage is thousands and thousands of years old. What's the purpose of marriage? Well, I mean, I mean, look at them. I mean, they're hot. Okay. Well, I mean, I want us to have kids with them. Okay. You, you know, it takes about 20 hours to go to hunter safety so that you can go hunting. If you want to drive a car, it takes six weeks of driver's ed. And I saw some of you, the way you drive, you might reconsider going back. Look at me. Do you know what it takes to get a marriage license? Just drag somebody up there halfway breathing. <laughs> All right. That's it. Sign here. Look at me. People are down on marriage when the issue is not there's anything wrong with marriage. The issue is they don't know what the purpose of marriage is. Anything you don't understand the purpose of, Dr. Miles Monroe says, you abuse. You abuse. Anything you don't understand the purpose of, you abuse. So, Pastor, what is the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? Well, I, I, I want to I show you. Okay, put the picture of Michelle and I. Okay, Michelle and I will leave to go to Scottsdale this week to celebrate our 42nd wedding anniversary. This, this, is, this, this, is, this is where we are right now, okay? But, but that's not where we started. I mean, you, you, you know a lot of the picture. Let me, but Michelle and I got married on January the 15th. Michelle graduated from high school a year early. They went to a year of Bible college. And then after I got engaged to her, she went to finish her last semester. And I went to pick her up. And right before the Thanksgiving break, which was going to be the end of, of, of her, her Bible college time. And this is the picture we took. Come on, I had some swag, don't lie. I had it going on. I used to really look good. You know what happened to me? Haddon and Joseph. <laughs> I mean, did, look at those Jardash jeans. Come on, you know I had it going on. Platform shoes, Jardash jeans. How about them shades? Like, I mean, you know. Look at that little princess. I got a Cajun princess and she got a man, <laughs> a Mexican man. Well, why do I want to show you that picture? Keep it up there because I remember being nine years old, sitting on the front steps, the gray steps in my house. The police had come again the night before. My mom and dad had fought again. And I remember saying to myself, my kids won't go through this. I don't know how. I don't know what it's going to take. But my children will not go through this. Many of you have a memory, a childhood memory. You have a childhood memory. But to get from here to the next picture where we were, go back to our old picture you just showed, to there, it's been a long journey. 
It's been a long journey. And that purpose had to stay alive. Because I had a bigger dream. Do you know what it was? Go to the next one. What's that? What's that? To one day give my children what I never had. To one day be willing to sacrifice and no matter what it took to get to that place. And when you look at this picture, I mean, look, I mean, come on, be honest. Cajuns and Mexicans make beautiful kids. Don't lie. Those are, that's the tribe of the Mexicans. Okay, I mean, that, 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 that. And then it, it, your, real, your real joy, watch this, is the next picture. This is what you get if you don't kill your children. You get grandchildren that are better looking than them. And this is, this is, this is our joy. This is, this is our joy, Eli and John Wesley and Finley Kay and Shiloh. I mean, that's our joy. But when you go back to the other picture, go back to the picture. When you go back to here, you, you don't see the cancer. You don't see the heartache. You don't see the years of disappointment. You don't see building and, and five pregnancies and all the struggles and the different the issues that we walk through growing up or Michelle walked through health-wise or our children walked through getting to their Disney. You just see a big old picture. But the purpose of marriage is that God loved Michelle so much that he gave her to me so that he could show her how much he loved her through me. And if I would do that right, this would be the end result. It all goes back to me and her. Go back to that picture. It goes go back to right here. Was I going to agape her? Was I going to love her like with God's love? And that's why he gave her to me. So that he could express his love to her through me. To me. Here's the third thing. That marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is a and not a. You know what happens when, when, you, when you have a contract and you have an agreement with somebody and, and they don't take their part of the agreement? What do you do? Who do you call? You call a lawyer. And you know what you do? You go back and you look at the contract. Can I tell you why people act like marriage is a contract, but it's not? When's the last time you took your marriage license and held it up in front of your mate and go, look at what you signed? <laughs> How many of you know where your marriage license is? Raise your hand. How many hadn't seen your marriage license in so long you don't even know? Raise your hand. Okay. How many don't have a marriage license? Get married in Jesus' name. <laughs> I busted you. Okay. Marriage is a covenant. What would happen in a covenant? Do you know during biblical times when men made a covenant, they would get an ox, they would cut the ox in two, separate it, and both the parties would walk right in the middle of the ox and make a promise to each other and say, if I break this covenant, may what happened to this ox happen to me. Do you know what that sounds like? It's what happens when you get divorced. 
You don't tear up a piece of paper. You tear off a piece of someone's heart. Part of their life. It's not a contract. It is a covenant. Number four. The eternal law of sowing and reaping. I I love this. This is one of my favorite principles. If you've been around me much, you've heard me say this. I don't always say this preaching, but, but if you've been around any of my Bible studies, I say this all the time to our staff. The eternal law of sowing and reaping is this. You reap what you sow, number one. You reap more than you sow, number two. And you reap later than you sow. So say it with me. You, you reap and you reap Do you know that the greatest place for that to happen outside of your relationship with Jesus is your relationship with your mate and then your relationship with your children? Let me explain what I'm talking about. People come to me all the time. A lot of our marriage come, Pastor, my husband is not doing what he should do. He's not meeting my needs. You bring Miss Michelle flowers and coffee in bed and everything. Like he won't even drive through Starbucks for me. Pastor, you, you, you talk about how all these wonderful things that you do and notes that you write and all that thing. He hadn't wrote me a note in so long. My needs aren't being met. Men. Pastor, I, I hear you talk about what a great relationship you and Miss Michelle have and that y'all are romantic and everything. I mean, there ain't none of that in my house. I mean, Victoria ain't had no secret in my house in years. I mean, Pastor, you, you don't, you, I mean, you don't know. I'm just telling you, I don't know what y'all got going on, but that ain't what's going on over 2-3 Boudreaux Street in Dusan. I had to throw Dusan in. Look, look at me. I understand. In fact, Pastor, no, no, come on, be honest. You, 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 don't, you don't understand. You don't understand. Oh, yeah, I understand. But there is a law called the law of sowing and reaping. We just had a drought, didn't we? Okay. The reason we don't, the reason crawfish are $14 a pound and we're eating Chinese crawfish. The reason we are is because of the drought, correct? Okay. Did the rice farmers get a second crop with the drought? You think they're going to be planting this year? Yes, they are. If there's a drought, do you think they'll plant the next year? And if there's a drought after that, you think they'll plant that year? And they will keep till the drought ends because they know something. If you keep planting a seed, ultimately it's going to come back. That's never truer than your marriage. Let me give you a novel thought. How about planting in your mate which you want to reap back to yourself? How about if he's not kind, you are. How about if she's not romantic, you are. How about if he's not thoughtful, you become thoughtful. Because you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. Let me just tell you this. God, this is so good. Thank you, Lord. Do you know that it takes more energy to complain and be miserable than it does to plant what you want to reap? 
I, I, I wish Ann Morton was here. They were here in the first service. They're always here. Ann Morton was married for 25 years while Ed was in the oil field. In the oil field. And you know what she did? She prayed. She planted God's word. And she remained faithful and unwavering. She prayed. She sowed what she wanted to reap. And she stood on God's unwavering word. How many of you like the pews you're in? Ed Morton's paid for a number of them. You can thank him one day. But you can thank the faith of a woman who knew the promises of God were true and that they were yes and amen. And that if you continued sowing, he that go forth weeping, bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again rejoicing. The scripture says, do not be weary in doing what is right because in due time you will reap if you just don't get tired and quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Number five, your marriage lives to the degree that you die to yourself. Yeah. Who said that? God did. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And to husbands, you are to demonstrate your love for your wives with the same that his bride. That sounds good till you get to the next one. For he sacrificed, what? To make us holy and pure and cleanse us through the showering of the pure water of the word of God. I'm going to go back to our family picture. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Do you know, four years ago, we couldn't have taken that picture. Five years ago, we couldn't have taken that picture. Six years ago, we couldn't have taken that picture. What you see, you don't see Michelle with a brain tumor and cancer. And that's driving from MD Anderson in such shock that we did not say a word from the time we left Houston, just she and I in the car, till we got to Lafayette. You, you don't see the journey of each one of our children. You, you don't see that when we lost Wesley, I lost my wife for three years. Three years. Look at me. They're worth it. That's the purpose. The godly legacy. 
leaving a godly legacy of standing on the principles of God's word and not giving up where my daddy did and my grandfather did and others that have gone before me to leave a legacy that is more important than did I get my needs met or how do I feel or intimacy isn't what it should be or she doesn't look like he should look or he's speaking mean to me. They are all worth more than that. Jesus gave his life for them and so must I because you either sacrifice for your children or you sacrifice your children. There are a few mantras Michelle and I have developed on our journey of 42 years. that have carried us through heartache, tears, cancer, loss, betrayal, disappointment. I want to give them to you. United, we're undefeated. United, when she and I are united, the enemy doesn't have a chance. We're undefeated. Secondly, if we don't quit, if we don't quit sowing, if we don't quit praying, we win. We win. If we just don't quit, we win. Third, That picture up there matters. It matters. It matters. I I, want to show my daughter how to be loved by the way I treat her mother. So that when someone comes in that doesn't look like that, she can see that a hundred miles off. I want to show my boys how to love a woman so that when they see a counterfeit coming, they know it a hundred miles off. That is more important than me living to get my pleasure pills, my pleasure points, the things that I wish that I hoped and dreamed of little things that are going to be passing away that when I'm taking my last breath will not even matter. grandchildren well because he that does the will of God what they do lasts forever 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 I want every married person here to take your mate's hand if you're not married don't hold hands with anybody next to you you'd be still. Give me about five minutes and we're going to close. I just want everybody to be still a moment. Holy Spirit is here. Lord Jesus, I pray for every marriage now, right now, right now. I pray for every marriage right now. Every hand that's being held represents children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren 
that are counting on the obedience of those that are holding hands right now. Lord, thank you for Brian Louise's obedience. Lord, thank you for Pastor Keith and Gaynell's obedience. Thank you for Pastor Jim and Kathy's obedience. Those who left us a legacy for us to walk in. Lord Jesus, I pray for covenant grace now in every marriage. Just a revelation of covenant grace. A revelation. Lord, help them see the picture of the future of their children, who they marry, their grandchildren. It's so much more important all our petty preferences and desires that pass away. It's not that they don't matter, it's just that they're temporary. I want every married couple, I want you to say this with me out loud. United, we're undefeated. Come on, let's declare. United, we're undefeated. If we don't quit, we win. We will leave a godly legacy for our children. We will leave a godly legacy for our children. Come on. We will leave a godly legacy for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. We will live to know God, to make him known, and to leave a legacy for our children, for our community. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, breathe right now. Breathe right now. Seal your word. Seal it. And now I want to ask you the most important question in your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. When Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the garden, the knowledge of good and evil, they died spiritually. And because of that, they were separated from the one that loved them the most, the God who is a spirit. And you cannot intimately know him until you become spiritually alive. Jesus called that being born again. Have you been born again? Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said in John 3. He said, you must be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to stop running from the one that's been chasing you for years. Just to stop. You don't have to run after him. He's been chasing you. That's how much he loves you. Just to stop and surrender to him, to his love. 
to the love you've always longed for and the father you've always wanted. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. Today, I want to do that. I want to know God. I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you right at your seat, right where you are. One, God brought you here. Yes, he did. I know someone invited you. He used them. Two, all the circumstances that have been going on in your life the last two or three months have been for this moment to prepare you. And now's your time to surrender the love that's been chasing you all your life. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. I want to pray for you. Lift it high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Anywhere else? Seventeen. Anywhere else? Anywhere else? All right. Eighteen. Yes. All right. Nineteen. Put your hands down. Last ten seconds, Pastor. I didn't raise my hand with these nineteen, but I should have. I know God's talking to me. I know it's Him. I know it's His voice talking to me. I want to surrender to Him. I should have raise my hand the first time but I know you're asking this last time for me raise it right now 19 join these raise it high and wave it at me 20 21 22 23 alright 24 alright now church let's pray out loud with all of those that raise their hand today to be born again church would you join me dear Lord Jesus I believe you are the son of God I believe that on the cross You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. And I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, you enjoy that message from Pastor Jacob. Would you stand up on your feet with me? If you just made that decision to give your life to Jesus, your next step is water baptism. You can find one of these cars directly in front of you. Check that box and leave it on your pew. Well, hey, would you let me bless you before we leave? And may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And may all that you set your hand, may it be for the kingdom. And may he bless it, may honor it, and may he prosper it. And as your pastor, I bless the name of the Father, His Son, Jesus, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit.